Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. I think that there's a lot about what happened on Monday. Right. I agree. And I think a lot of it is, is that the president sees the Mueller investigation. He sees all these accusations from partisan Democrats, Hillary Clinton saying, oh, he colluded with the Russians. But then he also sees that the only people who actually we know colluded with the Russians were Hillary Clinton, who paid a British agent, who then paid Russians for information for this dossier. So he is, uh, feels like the intelligence community cooked up a political or partisan uh, investigation. But also part of the Mueller investigation is something that should be investigated, and that is who hacked into Hillary Clinton's emails. And so I think he he sees the the part where he's accused of collusion, and he responds to that, and it taints the whole investigation, whereas there is part of the Mueller investigation that is actually legitimate, and then there's part of it that is just simply a partisan attack on the president. Wow. Again, Rand Paul coming to the defense of the president who he has routinely criticized. So it's it's not a, a, you know, absolutely pro Trump position for him. And Senator Rand Paul is just stating a few things that are kind of obvious that we need to keep in our wheelhouses if we're going to have intelligent discussions about what happened in Helsinki and the reasons that the president has taken the tack that he's taken. So, you know, with more information comes more clarity. And we're going to discuss that and so much more today on the Stacey on the Right show here on American Family Radio, and Urban Family Talk. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037. Welcome to the show. Um, We have a little bit more audio from him. We're also going to speak to um, Jesse Kelly. He's a Marine Corps combat veteran and frequent guest of the program. He's going to come on and join us this hour. And then we're going to continue our discussions. There's a town called Scribner in uh, Nebraska, and they are actually moving ahead with plans to outlaw the employment of people who are in the country illegally. Now, this is pretty interesting. It's fascinating because usually when you talk about immigration, it's the purview of the federal government. They get to decide how many people come in and where they get to come into and et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, they're not talking about the people being here illegally or whether or not they can do anything about it. They're just saying they're not going to break the law by employing them or offering them housing. So it's a deterrent type of an action. We'll get into some of the details and kind of go over whether or not we think it's the right thing for them to do. If it's done out of frustration, is, is, is it people saying, look, you guys won't do anything, so we're going to do something? And if other states will follow suit. Also, we're going to go over a little bit of the very tiny bit of information that we have about Lisa Page's testimony. She's been testifying in closed sessions, um, really answering some of the same questions, many of the same questions that were posed to Peter Strzok. And she has come out of it smelling a little bit like a rose as much as is possible in this situation because she's answering their questions. She's actually coming back with uh, answers that kind of comport with what we know about human nature. So it's a fascinating uh, thing we're going to get into in hour two. Right now, I want to get back to uh, Rand Paul and it's 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 not just Rand Paul that's having these discussions. It's actually uh, President Trump who's been pushing back a little bit himself on all of these weird discussions that have to do with what he was doing in, in Helsinki. And obviously, I criticized some of the comments that he made. And, and I, I maintain those criticisms because I think he could have handled it a little bit more keenly. But even in the face of that, I think he's getting a bad rap because he's being compared to Hitler and, uh, you know, 
just all kinds of crazy, like treason. The word treason has been used many, many times. Rachel Maddow posed to her viewers on her television program that it's time to admit the worst about Donald Trump is probably true, you know, that he's some kind of Russian agent. These things are not serious. These, these are not serious accusations. They're made by serious people or people who we might have taken seriously, and they're made in serious tones, but they're not serious because he's made so many actions that have been counter to Russia's best interests since he's been the president. And he made promises to do those things, and he's followed through with them. So obviously, if he was under the thumb of you know, President Putin, he would not uh, castigate the Germans for their new pipeline deal. He would not build up our military. He would not just there's just almost nothing he's done of late, whether it's improving the economic, uh, you know, outlook for Americans through lower taxes and tax reform or the cutting of regulations or his strong stance abroad where he's he's, you know, taking no prisoners when it comes to his dealings with our foreign allies and enemies, allowing a lot of the military hardware that was cordoned off by the Obama administration to be put back into good use. He has done things that are detrimental to Russian interests. So it doesn't make any sense. So here's President Trump, and he's in doing, doing an interview post-Helsinki, and he's talking about former DNI Brennan and, of course, Clapper. These are two individuals who are now employed by MSNBC. One of them is a communist. The other one is what used to be called a, you know, a Democrat. Now, now these are socialists. And both of them have made statements about the president that are not only disrespectful, but belie their previous employment. So they were leaders in our federal government of major agencies. And usually when people like that leave those agencies, they maintain a decorum and respect for the commander in chief, regardless of whether or not they agree with them politically, because it's a nod of deference to the position that they held before. Now, maybe as, as we've discussed here on the program, there are new norms and the new norms take everything that was civilized and good and honorable and they ball it up like so much trash and toss it out the window. And, you know, not, you don't even recycle it. You just completely toss it to the wind because there's no respect for the way we used to treat each other, the kind of respect we used to offer to each other, the kind of respect that George Bush offered to Barack Obama by not criticizing him, but he won't offer it to Donald Trump. He criticizes him constantly. And that's all over immigration. I mean, we could go into that, do a whole segment on the Bushes and how as much as I like George Bush as president, he was no good on the economy and he was horrifying on immigration. He's just like an amnesty nutcase. So, and don't get offended. If you're, if you're a George Bush person, good for you. I'm with you. I liked George Bush too. I voted for him, but come on, give me a break here. So you've got, President Trump talking about the Russia meddling that was happening happening before he was ever, you know, president. This is under the Obama administration. The Russians had actually hacked the RNC. And interesting twist in the story is that uh, Mark Zuckerberg actually tried to warn the RNC that they'd been hacked. Uh, you know, goodness knows how he knew that. Oh, and we have an interesting story about Mark Zuckerberg, too. We'll get into a little bit later as well. So... He kind of takes the two of them to task, which they deserve because of the way that they tweet about him. And I thought it was it, if you just listen to what the president is saying, and I know it's hard for some people who don't like to hear him speak. They don't like his you know, he's got a New York thing going on and a very different way of speaking publicly than most politicians. 
uh, you know, that's a feature, not a bug. That's why people elected him. But if you listen to what he's saying, you can get a clear picture as to why he behaves the way he does and why his outlook and his demeanor towards President Putin was so different in comparison to the way he treated the people at NATO. There's there's a methodology to it, which I said that as well. I'm not backtracking here at all. So let's listen to President Trump. He's he's talking about Brennan and Clapper and the Russian uh, meddling that was going on well before he was president in number five. President Obama, along with Brennan and Clapper and the whole group that you see on television now, probably getting paid a lot of money by your networks. They knew about Russia's attempt to interfere in the election in September, and they totally buried it. And as I said, they buried it because they thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Turned out it didn't happen that way. By contrast, my administration has taken a very firm stance. It's a very firm stance on a strong action. We're going to take strong action to secure our election systems and the process. Furthermore, as has been stated, and we've stated it previously and on many occasions, uh, no collusion. Yesterday, we made significant progress toward addressing some of the worst conflicts on Earth. So when I met with President Putin for about two and a half hours, we talked about numerous things. And among those things uh, are the problems that you see in the Middle East, where they're very much involved, we're very much involved. I entered the negotiations with President Putin from a position of tremendous strength. Our economy is booming and our military is being funded 700 billion this year, 716 billion dollars next year. It will be more powerful as a military than we've ever had before. President Putin and I addressed the range of issues, starting with the civil war in Syria, and need for humanitarian aid and help for people in Syria. So, uh, again, you know, let's let's take a, a few things that we know. Facts and evidence. What do we know about what the president has done with our sometimes ally and most of the time geopolitical foe, the uh, the nation state of Russia? What has he done? And that is much more reliable than the face that he presented after they met for two hours. And if you think about it, and obviously this, this is a man who he's done these kinds of meetings. Donald Trump has been meeting with powerful people, people he opposes on a number of different financial things, whatever, making deals. He's been doing that for decades. So to insinuate that he somehow was overtaxed by it or he, he was flummoxed or he was under Putin's thumb is really, it's just so nearsighted and so ignorant of how if you've been doing something for as long as Donald Trump has been doing business deals and these types of meetings there there's there's a level of expertise there that if we're not at that same level we just have to try to understand how that whole thing went down and so we have to give credit where credit is due we weren't in the room but we do now have a quite a bit of information that has been shared by Donald Trump and and the, the White House press corps what they've gotten out of Hogan Gidley and Sarah Sanders about what they discussed. We have his written comments. I shared some of those on the show yesterday. But what what I, I, I'm kind of surprised by is 
the lack of higher level thinking that's going on among the critics of what Donald Trump has actually put out there. If you are critical of the way that he presented himself, the de- his demeanor at the press conference, I mean, that's that's up for interpretation. I, I have no problem with people saying they didn't like, you know, the way it looked. They didn't like the presentation. They didn't think it was strong on his part. OK, I mean, uh, fine. But if you think like like why would President Trump defend the same intelligence community that tried to prevent him from becoming president? So if this meeting in Helsinki took place a year and a half ago, right after the president was inaugurated or maybe a year, yeah, year and a half ago or so. So he's just been inaugurated. He meets with uh, President Putin and Putin says, I didn't meddle in the elections. And there's been no Republican report that's been issued on the Russian meddling, the hacking. So much of what is known now is still kind of in the intel community coffers, but not out for public consumption. He hasn't been read into it. He's kind of new to the whole thing. All he knows is it, there's there's this idea that he's colluded with the Russians. He knows the Russians have done some hacking or it's alleged, but there's not a lot of legs to it. There, there's no flushed out detail that's widely available. Then if he if the same meeting, everything that we've seen happened at that point in his presidency, then I could see the criticism. But that's not the case here. Just last week is when Peter Strzok sat there and tried to make all of us, all 300 and some odd million Americans and untold millions of people in the international community who were watching him on TV, that when he said he could smell the Trump support, he was just talking about the normal rivalry between, you know, the county that he lives in and the county that he traveled to for the investigation. The Trump support doesn't have an actual smell. It's just a reference, like a colloquialism to kind of indicate the, the competitive nature of the two counties. Who bought that? Nobody. Uh, You know, so over and over again, when he was made to read his own text over and over again, it was clear that he has a bias against the president. So his critics also want President Trump to believe and defend on the international stage people who openly admitted that they either wanted him never to be president or they wanted to impeach him. And they've been working towards that end every day that he's been the president. So he's supposed to go out and defend those people. Donald Trump, the alpha male, the mean handshake guy, the one they think is kind of a savage. It just doesn't make any sense. When we get back, we're going to have Jesse Kelly, Marine Corps combat veteran and writer at The Resurgent. He's going to be with us. And there'll be more excellent talk here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stay right there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We'll have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. 
That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. I know a man who held a prominent position of leadership in a well-known Christian organization. He rose to the top very quickly because he had amazing abilities and talents, but it was soon discovered that he wasn't all that he appeared to be. Hidden sin and pride caught up with him, and he was forced to resign. He began living a lifestyle that was not God-honoring. He lost his family and went through a terrible divorce. Today, he no longer believes that the Bible is the Word of God. It's a sobering reminder that just to have gifts and abilities and a calling on your life does not guarantee that you will be totally spiritually successful. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14 underscore the twin killers of effectiveness in our walk with God. This is the sad story of Saul. So Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire the Lord. Therefore he, meaning God, killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. Did you hear those two killers, those twin killers? Number one was disobedience. Saul flat out disobeyed God. For whatever reason, he chose not to obey God. The second is disloyalty. Saul wandered away from God's authority in his life and chose demonic authorities instead. He listened to what they had to say rather than what God said to him. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. It's not how we look or what gifts we have that matters. What really matters is the condition of our hearts. We must cultivate a heart and life of obedience. God wants to use holy lives, not just gifted people. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. UrbanFamilyTalk.com, StacyOnTheRight.com, AFR.net. Those are the great websites you can visit. Hit the subscribe button and you won't miss anything. You can keep up with our content on all of those pages. And right now, I'm really happy to welcome back to the show frequent guests to the program. Um, we, we always have really great conversations and wonderful opportunity right now with the news being everything um, and that all of us are about to die. Um, it's good to have a Marine Corps combat veteran and uh, all-around expert from the resurgent to join us today. Jesse, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I appreciate you. <laughs> okay, so um, aside from the fact that the cattle cars are going to pull up because President Trump is a Nazi and also he's a Russian spy and agent, but also hates Russia and <laughs> is not doing a good job of getting along with them, and is also horrible to our other allies, what else is new? <laughs> <laughs> Look... The good news is we can't be around to have Trump's relationship with Russia kill us all because the tax cuts already killed us all and net neutrality killed us all. And all these, all these times we've all already died. I don't know how anyone else is still standing. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah I, I think we might be the only two left because after the, all that, I forgot about net neutrality killing us all. I, I, was, yeah. I kind of maybe just skipped that one because I was already reeling from surviving the tax cuts, not killing me or, you know, I survived basically. Um, <laughs> but this is what, this what leftists are though. And I've always believed this, that part of what makes the leftists 
is their parents did not tell them how little their emotions are important. They think emotions are a tangible thing, so they work themselves up in this frenzy, so everything is the worst thing ever. Everything is Nazi Germany. Everything is this. Everything is that. And it sounds so ridiculous to us, but to them, that's what they really feel. Imagine having your life turned up to that volume all the time. It'd be awful. I can't imagine that. You, you know what that's really like, in, in my opinion, because I'm, I'm a mom. It, what that sounds like is what we see. You, you've heard the cry. Anyone who's a parent knows what it sounds like. It's an overtired child. But I don't mean overtired like they've been traveling all day, so they just need a little nap. I mean a kid who didn't sleep well last night or the night before. They haven't eaten well today because they're so tired. And they're being dragged across you know, a 10-mile airport like Atlanta's Hartsfield. Or they're on a plane, and they're now told they have to sit with their both legs facing forward and not kick the chair in front of them. And that child starts to cry. Every parent in the radius knows that the parenting hasn't gone well in that family for at least four or five days. And now they're going to have to suffer through an entire flight of listening to this child tune up every five seconds. And that's what the liberals, they're at, they're at a level of like an overtired five-year-old who's never been told no. And if you've ever seen a tantrum of a bigger kid, a kid who didn't go through the terrible twos or the terrible twos are still going on into the fives and sixes, it's torture. It's like it being around people like that, children like that, adults like that, it's torture. It's horrible. You see them in the grocery store all the time, and you're right. That is that is what the modern leftist is. They're the child that was just simply never disciplined, never corrected. Now they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And the more you try to calmly speak to them, doesn't matter what you're saying. They're just going to scream louder. And that's a miserable way, way to live. Part of me actually feels bad for them. That's miserable. It is miserable. And the other thing that I think we're all like, so what happens, Jesse, is like for you, for me, because we we know a lot of the backstory, we don't refer to it as often or bring it to front of mind as often. But I was I was doing a little, you know, tr- you troll around on YouTube and you stumble onto a good trove of videos and you just let them play while you do other things. And it occurs to me that what we really have forgotten is how unsuccessful President Obama was during his term at building a lasting legacy for the Democrats that they could run and win on in the future. They lost 1,100 legislative seats, like a whole slew of governorships, and really their political power was scraped down to the bone. And now they're really frustrated because the power that they thought they would have after the momentousness of the first black presidency, it's not there. And that's why we see them talking about occupying airports, occupying the border, uh, you know, running people out of out of businesses. They can't they can't do things to us in the legislatures. They can't do things to us in city councils and and state governments. They can't do anything to us in Congress. They can't do anything about the presidency right now. So they have to take to the streets. I agree. And I saw this coming early on, and I'm amazed they never did. But it was Obama's personality and his charm and the other things that came with it that got him elected. And those things wiped out the Democratic Party, because not even he realized those were the things getting him elected. And the left and Obama all took that as being some kind of national endorsement for his radical leftist views, and it was anything but. Immediately, the very first midterm in his presidency wiped out Congress, because the American people saw his policies, were horrified, and pulled back on it. And they lost, and they lost, and they lost every single election cycle because they made a humongous miscalculation. And we also need to be careful we don't make the same mistake. Yes. Donald Trump is there 
in large part because he owns the room, because of his charisma and the way he does it. So we shouldn't take that as some kind of national endorsement to be dumb, to, to just pop off at the mouth any chance we get or trash the media any chance we get, although I dog on them all the time. We still need to be smart and realize in this day and age with the social media age, we need charismatic candidates. That's the only way to win today. It is. And so let's 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 talk about that for a second, because um, I think w- one of the, the interesting points about this discussion we're having, uh, you know, we could we could go on and on and on about how horrible Obama was at translating his wins into wins for the entire party and how unique the situation was for him and that he could come in and say he believed marriage was between a man and a woman and then evolve on that issue. And no one said you hoodwinked us. You lied. They were just like, oh, yay, he's he's so much better than we are. We all need to take a page out of his book. But that didn't work for Hillary Clinton. She's she's evolved on issues. No one believes her. And a lot of what's happening with the Democrats is that people saw how far to the left Obama moved the party. They don't like it. And so they're they're looking for something else, which is literally personified by Donald Trump. So when you say that the Republicans shouldn't make the same mistake, I, I'm thinking you're you're basically saying they, they have to do what they promised during the campaign, not going off the That's rails exactly and doing right. it different. Okay. So let's talk about some That's of that. Exactly what, right. Yeah. You, what more do they need to do? I, I'm with you. Well, understand that even Obama got away with those things in part because the media didn't destroy him for it in the way they would destroy Trump but because the, there is no ability in politics like likability. And Obama had that in space for people, so they brushed it under the rug. Whereas Hillary is maybe the least likable candidate in the history of American politics, so she doesn't get the same path because she has the charisma of a sea urchin. Nobody wants to believe Hillary Clinton. And so what I'm saying is when we run for office on things like cutting taxes, on things like cutting funding for Planned Parenthood, securing the border, things like that, things Trump is doing, we need to make sure we're doing those things. One of Trump's biggest screw-ups, in my opinion, was signing that $1.3 trillion omnibus bill that nobody hit read. That's the exact opposite of what we ran on. We ran against Obama and the insane Democrats for doing stupid things like that that look shady and awful, and we need to avoid doing it again. And so let's let's talk a little bit more about the Helsinki. It's it's a lot of Republicans have been very loudly castigating the president for the way that he presented himself. But if you give it some thought, just, you know, kind of detach from emotions and think about it. He was never going to stand at a podium standing next to anyone and defend America's intel community because he believes, rightly so, according to the the Page Strzok text and and the other investigations into the other five agents who have remained nameless and the Mueller investigation grinding on with no indictments of any Americans about collusion. All the indictments have been about other things, financial dealings, et cetera. Why would Donald Trump go and stand next to Vladimir Putin and defend U.S. intelligence uh, in, in in light of where he knows they are at this moment? Well, it's a huge divide. And you're right, he won't. He won't, and he never is. And frankly, at this point in time, until they figure it out, the FBI, the CIA, he shouldn't defend them. Now, that doesn't mean he needs to betty buddy up to Putin like that. I didn't like that. But the truth of the matter is the FBI and CIA have no one but themselves to blame for the current rift between them and the president. And this is not just some lowly person at the FBI or CIA. We need directors. Michael Hayden, 
Brennan. These guys are vehemently anti-Trump. They're out there publicly every day, trashing him every day. That's uh, that scumbag Peter who went and, uh, and testified before Congress and came off like a total lying creep. That was the number two man in the investigation. That wasn't some meaningless agent stuck in a radio tower in Alaska. That's a powerful man at the FBI. James Comey was the director at the FBI, hugely anti-Trump. So they can whine all they want about Trump uh, talking about the deep state and how horrible the FBI and CIA are. The people, the higher-up people who, who were formerly there are doing themselves and their former agency no favor. And so in, in light of that, because um, I, I agree with you, I didn't feel like like the Trump that I know and, and really appreciate the kind of strong guy, almost overly strong, <laughs> like at the Paris Accords, he was overshaking everyone's hand. And I was kind of like, dude, <laughs> you know, back up a little bit. But I got what he was doing. He was like, you've never met me. <laughs> Let me understand. Let me help you yeah. understand. I'm stronger than you. I'm taller than you. And I have more will than you. So back up. You know, he was literally pushing people out of the way. <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, it's a bit much, but I get what he's trying to do. But now, you know, so I didn't expect him to be like that with Putin. That This is a different thing. Those are kind of pansy countries in some ways. Russia's a nuclear power. They are, they maintain an arms race with us on nuclear warheads that is unmatched by any other nuclear power. And they're also the ones who, if we weren't 55,000 strong with troops in Germany and, you know, however many more we have all over the world, they'd be riding over countries constantly. Even if their, their countrymen were starving at home and the children didn't have any milk, they'd still be riding all over the globe, taking over everything they could get their hands on. Where we are the strongest military in the world and we literally could rebuild a Romanesque type empire with our military might. And we choose not to because that's just not our way. So understanding that dynamic. I didn't expect him to be a strong arm, you know, kind of bully pulpit guy. But I, I was I was kind of taken aback by how meek he was like that. I was like, what's going on? Is he not feeling well? Does he have the flu? I know he can handle this. That was my problem with it. In my opinion, he's been outstanding foreign policy wise and the way he's handled himself and represented America foreign policy wise. But that was his worst moment by a mile as far as foreign policy goes. Now, Obviously, he's not going to sit up there and trash Putin to Putin's face. But at the same time, you don't have to come off like you're Putin's puppet. And he did. It was very, very odd. I've never seen him that way. I didn't like it at all. I hated it. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're all, we, we all get a flub or two. And as you said, I, I couldn't stress my agreement more with his previous performances on the world stage have been so stellar. In fact, he's he's outperformed expectations, if you think about it, because regular people recognize that he goes out there like he's um, like he's Mr. America. He goes out to the world stage when he meets with other world leaders. He doesn't meet them and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm from America. He's like, this is America. Next. What exactly what are you bringing to the table? Because we've got all of this and we're also paying for all of your defense. What do you give to us that I like? So. I'm hoping his next interaction with Putin will be stronger. But as it stands, I, I want to turn to Crimea really quickly. Everyone keeps blaming Donald Trump for not doing anything about Crimea. But hasn't that ship sailed? Your, your military, you know that the way these engagements work. Has that ship not sailed? Yes, it sailed. Okay, yes, it so, sailed. There's no putting that genie back in the bottle. And that ship sailed before Trump got there. That ship is gone. And And... Just just I just want to be crystal clear here. 
we're not saying we agree <laughs> that they should have taken Crimea or that we're okay with it. We're saying they did it when Obama was president and because he didn't react, now that they've built a seaport there, we're not getting that back unless we go to war with them. That's correct. And it's horrible what they did, but that is Russia. And Russia, that's why you can never be weak with Russia. They're going to eat up every inch of ground and seize everything they can. That's how their foreign policy is. That's how it's always been. That's why they controlled half a year of it one time. That is who they are. Our eye needs to always be on Russia. So at this point, you know, we, we've seen what's happened, and we, we know the Mueller investigation. You had the indictment of those guys. Um, they, the, they sent the, the indictment over to the intelligence division, so it's no longer a part of the Mueller investigation. They're not expecting to get to do anything about it. But President Trump and Vladimir Putin stood there and said that we have extradition treaties. Why isn't Mueller seeking to go through that process with the evidence that he has to seek uh, extradition for those 12 uh, spies who, who did all of the, the hacking and, and sharing and all that? Because it looks like a huge hit job at this point in time, and Mueller doesn't seem like he is, has any interest in changing that point of view. If you're from the point of view of Trump and you look at how this investigation has proceeded, who they've gone after, why they've gone after them, it went from collusion to now they're just chasing down the rabbit hole until they find something, it looks terrible. I'm not going to go with some massive conspiracy theory, but it really, really looks bad, and something needs to come of it legitimate soon when it, in terms of collusion, which is why it was there, or it needs to go away. I agree, Jesse. I, this, this is why we love having you come on, because you, you, you're coming from a position of strength and knowledge on all of these foreign policy issues with your Marine Corps background. And I just what I'm hoping is that people will kind of take just take a, a couple deep breaths, a step back and really understand the dynamic here. It's okay for us to say that the president didn't have the best meeting in Helsinki while still supporting his foreign policy aims and understanding that this is a changing dynamic and we don't really know what went on in those two hours in that room. Yeah, we all have a bad day. Lord knows I have plenty of. Me too. (laughs) All right. Well, today wasn't one of those bad days. Thank you so much, Jesse, for coming on and uh, joining the program. And we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great week. Appreciate you, Stacey. You too. All right. That's Marine Corps combat veteran Jesse Kelly. You can find out more about him at The Resurgent. It's, I think, maven.org, if I'm not mistaken. I'll put in my Twitter feed and you guys can follow him over there. And we'll be back with more. I want you guys to get in the call queue if you want to chat about this. 866-963-2037. Late addition to the program. We're going to be speaking to Nikki Neely, president and founder of Speech First, about the University of Minnesota implementing a gender identity policy that is basically anti-First Amendment. We'll have her in hour two. So you don't want to miss that. Stay there. We'll be right back. God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty in business disgusts 
the eternal. It disgusts God. But fair dealing delights him. False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to him. With our heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. My name's Keithon. My friend was shot dead on a Metro Transit bus. And if I wasn't here at Teen Challenge, that could have been me. But thanks to them, I'm off the streets and I'm drug free. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Coming next week on The Dwelling Place. Pastor Al Pittman continues to walk us through the Bible line by line and verse by verse to let God show us just how timeless His truth is. That's next week on The Dwelling Place. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, popular creation speaker and author with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, has the Bible been confirmed by archaeological discoveries? In many ways it has, Chris. Many ancient artifacts have been found, and in each case they confirm the general framework given in Scripture. The Bible claims to be a book of true history, and we would expect to find historical evidence and general agreement with it. But we wouldn't expect everything to be found. Much of the Bible took place long ago, and documents would be rare. But with many turns of the archaeologist's spade, we find details that support Scripture. Yes, we can be confident that the Bible is literally true, and even better than that, it's spiritually true. The evidence we find in history enhances our confidence in its spiritual claims. It all started back in Genesis. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Call us at 800-628-7640 and mention the promo code FACT. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Mr. Speaker, uh, let me make a couple of comments in response to my friend. It was the last president, not this president, who told Russian leaders that he would be more flexible after an election. It was the last president, not this president, that said Russia was not a geopolitical threat and chastised Mitt Romney when he raised it in the campaign. And it was the last president, not this president, that drew a red line and then refused to enforce it. If you actually look at the record, this administration and this party that frankly have begun to restore American defenses after years of neglect by the last administration. That's not good news for Russia. It's this administration that has also encouraged and cajoled some of our allies to increase their defense level up to the levels that they themselves had committed to. <laughs> Sounds like the work of a Russian agent to me. Okay, that's sarcasm. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacey on the Right. And a uh, huge thanks to Jesse Kelly for coming on and chatting with us about uh, some of the nuances to what we're hearing here. Um, and, and, I've just completely put the really crazy commentators on um, ignore 
you know, I'm just blocking out all of this talk about Hitler and, uh, you know, death and all destruction and people are going to die because Donald Trump didn't smack Putin across the face with a pair of leather, leather gloves. We, we understand that that was never going to happen. Um, expectations for on my part were that he would just be more um, assertive, not rude. I wasn't expecting him to be rude. Different dynamic. Former KGB agent, someone who routinely has people killed when they disagree with him in his own country and now in other countries. Um, And not because President Trump would be afraid of being killed by Putin, but because it's a different dynamic. Um, Different guy, you know, so that that was not what I was expecting from the president. But I'm also looking forward to them engaging again and seeing how the next uh, you know interaction goes. Um, I want to make a few more points on that. Look, we I, I think a lot of people are also kind of lumping it all together. And maybe the president has kind of gotten caught in this trap as well, which is where some of us basically say it's all one thing. The Russian collusion uh, allegation and the Russian meddling um, in our elections and then the DNC hacking, it's actually three separate items. There are three separate allegations, if you will. So we can believe and know that the Russians were behind the hacking of the DNC servers because they also hacked the RNC. As Putin said himself, the emails were real. The Russians facilitated their dissemination through WikiLeaks and other places by simply sending them out that the Russians also attempted to meddle in our election systems by spear phishing and by attempting to hack into voter databases and systems for our elections, which are localized, which protects them a great deal. And the paper ballots are everything, really. If there was ever a commercial or you know a, a recommendation, it couldn't be a stronger one for the paper ballot system than the fact that the Russians now have their, their most advanced capabilities are not their military capabilities, but their cyber attacks. And then there's the allegation that the president worked in concert with these different Russian organizations, the ones who were doing the spear phishing and the attacks on the election systems, the ones who were doing the hacking of the DNC and the RNC, that he worked with those entities, Russian government and others, Because Putin denies that it was the Russian government. He says it was bad actors in his country, criminals. But anyway, um, that the president worked with those groups, colluded with them to win the election and steal the election from Hillary Clinton. So you can say that the third one that I named off, the collusion by President Trump, is utter nonsense, but that the first two actually happened and nothing will happen. Your brain will not explode, you know. Comets won't rain down. Pigs won't fly through your window. Cattle cars won't show up. You know, it just, it, we can do that. I think we need to hear the president say something like that. He has said something similar, but I mean to clearly delineate that he understands, yeah, there was hacking. Yeah, the Russians were in on it. I didn't collude with them. That's what I think. You know, he said it in so many, so many different ways, but it'd be instructive for him to, to go at it one more time. So, you know, there's a lot of danger present here in our conversations, the way that they're being had, because we now know that the FBI and the CIA and possibly other intelligence organizations 
members of those organizations, so not the entire entities, but members of those organizations and positions of authority were actively working to subvert the election in favor of Hillary Clinton, and that they did not investigate with the same uh, fervor and um, righteous indignation that they do with other possible crimes that have been committed, the email fiasco that was the Clinton email server. They also have not really ever investigated Hillary Clinton's ties to the Russian government, the payments from the Russians and oligarchs and others, speaking fees, et cetera, to Hillary Clinton's husband and to herself. So that's what's really dangerous here. That's what's more dangerous than the rhetoric that we hear from the Democrats and the crazy talk from Ocasio-Cortez, which we'll get into a little later in the program. What is really, truly dangerous is that the discussions that hinge on Donald Trump being some kind of secret Russian agent distract us away from the very real threat that is present in having a government with intelligence agencies staffed by individuals who are so partisan that they would actually think it's their responsibility to stop someone from being elected or to impeach someone. And James Comey activist extraordinaire is in amongst that group because he was participating in these things. He was he was insubordinate. He was doing things that were outside of the purview of his his job description. And he hasn't really been punished for those. He feels he's been ultimately punished unfairly because he was fired. But that's the very minimum that should have happened to him for what he did while he was uh, FBI director once Donald Trump became a force in politics. So, you know, I'm not surprised that Donald Trump didn't pick a fight with Putin over the the election meddling because the way that the Democrats have tied the election meddling to Donald Trump, he would. It almost tied his hands to the point where he couldn't really confront Putin about it because Putin's response would be, well, your agencies think you should be impeached. Your own government's trying to get rid of you because they think you colluded with me. So how can you accuse me of doing it unless you're admitting that we work together and I didn't work with you? I deny all of it. Do you see the inherent trap there? This is what happens when we when when we do not take the bait and get all hysterical and lose our minds over what we perceived to be the weaknesses in in President Trump's presentation when he was in Helsinki. And we take some time to think about it and allow the president to talk about what happened and allow some of these points to sink in. Then it's, it's patently evident why he didn't do that. His own government is working against him and Putin knows it. I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts, which I'll probably never have validated that that's some of what Putin put forward to President Trump. He probably, if if we were laughing yesterday, were we not? Weren't we just giggling and having a really fun time at the way President or Vladimir Putin uh, trolled the American media? He jabbed them. He jabbed our intelligence operations for surveilling all of the Americans in the world. He probably jabbed Donald Trump one-on-one about the fact that he's head of a government that wants to see him impeached and is actively working to do so. And that his own political party doesn't seem to be able to stave off the attack from the intelligence community. That's some serious, like, one-on-one combo. Just think about it. How enraged would you be then when you come out of a meeting like that where you've just been punked by some guy who's telling you your own government doesn't even support you. Your own government's working to get rid of you. The Democrats in your country have ginned up so much hatred towards you that there was a 
Trump baby balloon flown in Great Britain and people are protesting you all over the world and you're worried about me colluding in your, in your elections? They think we work together. Maybe we should. Just saying. You know, just saying. So then you have... um MSNBC. And I thought this was so funny. I was listening to it and and thinking to myself, you know, this this is what they deserve. And I'm glad they got to hear it for themselves because they would never believe it. If this was a video that was done by the Daily Caller or Right Scoop or, 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 you know, Infowars, they'd say, oh, it's propaganda. The conservatives are making propaganda again. Oh, you know, that's what they would be doing. Instead, they sent out one of their own reporters. So MSNBC sent out one of their young intrepid reporters, and she was interviewing people on the street about their reactions to President Trump's trip abroad. And these people were just gold, true Americans through and through. It's number seven. So here's the thing. President Trump may be having a rough week in Washington with politicians on both sides of the aisle talking about their problems with his press conference with Vladimir Putin. But as you and I know, elections are not decided by tweets or talking heads. They're decided by voters. So our own Morgan Radford got outside the Beltway to Kenosha County, Wisconsin. They flipped from President Obama to President Trump in 2016, the first time the district voted for a Republican for president since Richard Nixon. Here's what some of those supporters had to say. When he kind of backtracked those statements today, did that surprise you? Well, he did get some uh, Republican backlash on that, and I think they just didn't hear the whole story before they started coming after him. So he was just trying to appease them a little bit. So that was the first guy. Now her face while he's talking, she's kind of just, you know how you you're listening and then your face is kind of like frozen. Like what you, so you're not mad. Okay. So then she's asked a couple more people and this is a very short one. Um, it's the remainder of her asking these questions. Listen to what the other Americans say. It's number eight. I know there's a lot of backlash going on now, especially when he said, well, I said I didn't and I didn't. But a lot whatever. of people weren't happy. Yeah, yeah, but I'm totally in support of him. And why? Why are you still supporting him? Because he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman, working class person's president. He's trying to make this country great again. Do you support the president? Yes. Do you support him despite yes. this week? Yes. I'm not one bit worried about the rest of the world. Yeah. They ain't worried about us. So, you know, I'm not worried one bit about what the rest of the world thinks. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, yeah, what do they think about us? They're not thinking about us. You know, the, when they think about us is when we start talking about pulling U.S. aid or moving funding around. Then everybody's like, those Americans, there they go again, trying to tell everybody what to do. Or when we say we want to do something different from what everyone else is doing, especially when George Bush was president. You guys remember this. And anytime he said, well, America's not going to join in on anything like that, then people around the world will be like, that's why America's so hated. Americans are this. Americans are that. Meanwhile, if you're an American and you're traveling abroad, everywhere you go, the minute you say, uh, you know, Guten Tag. And then um, I only speak a little German. Do you speak English? Ah, are you an American? They say in perfect English. Oh, you're Americans. How do you like, look, how do you like Stuttgart? How do you find it? That's what happened to us when we went to Germany in 2006. 
every German we met, we only met one German who couldn't speak English. I used my limited German to get us through the airport and to our hotel uh, via the train and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. We go out shopping and everywhere we went, the people are giving the kids candy. The, you know, oh my goodness, you're Americans. We love Americans. How, how, is it your first trip to Germany? Is it your first time in Stuttgart? Perfect English. We didn't meet anybody who was like, we just don't like Americans. No, not at all. They, they're, they're very happy to meet us. They like talking to us. They like to know what we think about their country. And it's the same as when I, find, I meet someone, and that it's not often, but when I meet someone who's not from America and they're in America, I'll say, oh, do, do you like, you know, wherever we are? Usually it's in D.C. Do you like Washington, D.C.? What do you think of it? Have you had a chance to tour any of the monuments? How long are you here? What are you doing here? You know, if you meet these people and, and, uh, on the plane, if you're sitting next to someone and they're not from America and they'll talk to you about, oh, you know, you Americans are so different in this way and they'll share. I, I've never met a person from another country and said, we hate we hate your country. Why would anybody do that? So when you hear people saying America is so hated under Donald Trump, people hate America. You should ask them, who told you that? Who said they hate America? You'd be surprised to learn that they're just talking about some poll on some liberal website that's meant to make us feel bad about ourselves. When in reality, most people are civilized. And even if they didn't like our president, they're not going to say we don't like you or we don't like your president. In fact, the only negative comment I've ever heard when we've been out somewhere and I've been interacting with a foreigner is when I say we live outside of St. Louis and they'll say, oh, Ferguson, you live in Ferguson. I'm like, no, we don't live in Ferguson. Ferguson's really tiny. St. Louis is the actual whole thing, and Ferguson is a tiny part of it. And they'll say, how big, how many square miles is Ferguson? I'm like, two or three square miles? How many square miles is St. Louis? 66 square miles? Oh. I mean, they're really shocked to learn that Ferguson is not basically all of St. Louis because the news made it seem as if Ferguson was all of St. Louis and St. Louis was like a suburb of Ferguson. Once they get past that, they're like, oh, do you have much crime and violence there? No, I live in the suburbs. It's like totally safe. Oh, oh, well, we just didn't know that about Ferguson. I'll, sometimes I'll pull up a little little something and show them. I'm like, this this is like, this is this is what where I look looks like. Looks like this. They're like, oh, <laughs> no one ever says they hate America. OK, people don't hate us. They love our money. They love our military. They love our money. <laughs> and they like us. They think we're pretty interesting compared to their countrymen. Like we think about them. Shock. Yeah. So we're going to get back with more. Second hour of the show is coming up right after these important messages from onenewsnow.com. Stay right there. 